At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What's up? Your boy Dean Thomas here. Thanks for stopping by and having a listen. It's me and I'm back. Episode 11 of my own show, Dean's Got Answers. Answers to what? Answers to anything and everything. In this show, I'll break down the questions you have about the UFC and provide my answers. They may not be the answers you're looking for, but that's not why you're tuning in, right? You want to hear from me, Dean Thomas. I'm a UFC vet, coach to the biggest names of the sport, co-star of Dana White looking for a fight, host of the Dean Diaries. I'm an analyst, podcaster, comedian, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, yada, yada, yada. But I'm going to keep this show simple. Each episode, I'll tackle three questions about the UFC. I'll give you my take, my opinion, and my answer to each. I'll hit on everything from the fun and wild moments the sport has to offer to the inner workings of the sport. No question is off limits. And by the way, if you have a question for me, DM me at Dean Thomas. Dean spelled D-I-N Thomas. Oh, and you know what else I'm going to do? Each episode, I'm going to slide up into my Rolodex and holler at a homie for a second opinion. I'll bring on the biggest names of the sport and see if they agree or disagree with me. Today, I'm going to holler at the third-ranked flyweight contender, Amir Albazi. First, what the fuck is up with, and I'm going to talk about some crazy moments in the sport, but what the fuck should happen next in the light heavyweight division with Jamal Hill saying he's vacating the title due to injury? Talk about your Achilles heel being your Achilles heel. Second, which fighters currently 25 and under could become champions in their careers? And there's some hot prospects out right now, but who has the most potential? And third, who should fight for the flyweight title next? And if you say Brandon Moreno, I'll slap you in the face. And after all that, I'm going to rapid fire answer questions from you, the fans, because you can't stump me, boy. So turn up the volume, kick back, and take heed to the words I speak. Let's go. It stings when a champion has to give up a title for reasons outside of losing it in the octagon. Champions have vacated titles in the past due to injury, but it can have a huge impact on the respective division and have a domino effect. With the recent news of Jamal Hill rupturing his Achilles tendon during a basketball game and opting to vacate the light heavyweight title, I must answer the question, what the fuck should happen next in the light heavyweight division? This situation is so unfortunate, especially after Jamal Hill won the vacant light heavyweight title in the beginning of the year at UFC 283 in dominant fashion against Glover Teixeira. And Jamal answered a lot of questions. We already knew that he had hands and a raw ability to pinpoint them on his opponent's faces. And after his fight with Thiago Santos, we knew he had that dog in him and could go into the trenches if he had to. But against Glover, he showed that he could deal with the best grapplers in the world. It's ironic because the former light heavyweight champion Yuri Prohoshka had to do the same thing as Hill by vacating the title due to a shoulder injury. I wonder if Yuri injured his shoulder playing pickleball. Hill versus Prohoshka was a much anticipated potential fight in the near future. Hill's injury was completely unexpected and improbable. I was there. Jamal was the best player on the court and in a friendly game, he got injured. 
It was a fluke injury that was unlikely to happen. That's the common plight of the MMA fighter. And it typically happens in training, though, on the slow days, on the days that are supposed to be easy, or especially on the infamous last round. I've made it a point as a coach to never say, and I quote, this is the last round, because that's where injuries always happen. Most champions work so hard to get the belt. So if they get injured, they want to hold on to it. But in this situation, Jamal is doing the honorable thing by allowing somebody else to fight for it while he's injured, possibly because he feels shame for the way it happened. But I know one thing's for sure, is that Jamal does not lack confidence. I know he feels that he's going to be able to get it back as soon as he returns, and that's a strong possibility. So now the division must move forward. Yuri Prohaska has been rumored to potentially return to the octagon in the fall, while Jan Blahovich fights Alex Pajera at UFC 291 on July 29th. The winner of this fight could potentially fight Yuri Pohaska for the light heavyweight title. Originally, the Blahovich and Pajera fight was rumored to be for the vacant title. Since then, the rumors have been confirmed as untrue. Well, I wouldn't mind if it was for the title. The timing was bad. You can't really try to upstage the BMF title, and you don't want the BMF title to feel more significant than a rushed light heavyweight title fight. But I love the matchup. We're going to learn a lot more about Alex in this fight than we will Blahovich. Will Alex be able to deal with a real grappler and a seasoned vet at 205? I mean, if he let Izzy take him down and dominate him in their first fight, he is in trouble against a guy like Blahovich on the ground. But you can never fully count out a powerful sniper like Alex. But for a moment, let's count him out. Let's say the Blahovich wins and gets a chance to fight Yuri for the title. They could do it in Europe, and it could be the, one of the biggest fights you could have in Europe without having Conor McGregor. It's an interesting stylistic matchup. In Blahovich, you have discipline, power, and top-heavy grappling. In Yuri, you have speed, unpredictable patterns, and mental fortitude. But because Yuri lacks defense, I lean towards Blahovich. But what if Alex got an opportunity to fight Yuri? Alex has the potential to beat anyone in the world. But with his limited skill set, he also has the potential to lose to a lot of guys. And Yuri might be too unpredictable for him. Another fight that could be for the vacant light heavyweight title is if Yuri Prohaska fought Magomed Ankalaev. Now, Ankalaev is coming off of a draw against Jan Blahovich at UFC 282, which was previously for the vacant light heavyweight title. And what a bummer that was for Ankalaev. Because some people thought he won. And of course, he thought he won. It was a close fight. And the credit goes to Blahovich for that. Because Ankalaev might have the most dangerous and complete skill set of anyone in the light heavyweight division. He was a man that no one was really looking forward to fighting. Does Ankalaev deserve a title shot right now? Not quite yet. I must answer what the fuck should happen next in the light heavyweight division with Jamal Hill saying he's vacating the title due to injury. It's simple. The winner of Blahovich and Pajeda should fight Yuri with Ankolaev having the next crack. But they need to do all this in a timely fashion because if you take too long, you lose your spot. So get it together, boys. MMA is an evolving sport and the UFC has a large pool of young, talented fighters that could be the future of the sport. So I need to answer the question. Which fighters currently 25 and under could become champions in their careers? The first fighter I'm going to talk about is undefeated and 5-0 in the UFC. It's the 14th ranked welterweight contender, Ian Machado Gary. At 25 years old, 
Gary is a rising prospect. Every fight, Gary shows us more and more. Gary's coming off an impressive first-round TKO victory against D-Rod in May. In that fight, he showed us incredible distance management, vision, and an ability to set traps. It was not only fun to watch, but it was beautiful to watch. Before that, Gary has wins against Song Kinan, Gabriel Green, Darian Weeks, and Jordan Williams. But it was his performance against Song Kinan that stands out above the rest. His finishing sequence in which he let his hands fly. It showed us a lot about his killer instinct. He also showed improved defense, which was something that I thought he needed to work on. But he could become champion because he's young and his rate of improvement is on par with those of championship aspirations. He's long, he understands fighting, and not only is he getting better each time, he's not afraid to show it each time. The next fighter that could become champion in their career is also 25 and is one of the most heavy-hitting and exciting fighters in the Bantamweight division. I'm sure you can guess it. It's the eighth-ranked Bantamweight contender, Song Yedong. Song Yedong is coming off a fifth-round TKO victory over Ricky Simone in April in a fight card he headlined. Song was an absolute locomotive in that fight. He showed great patience, but still effective in his offense. He's got great power in both hands, but his left hook was the money shot in that fight. At such a young age, Yedong has fought tough competition. He's fought Corey Sanhagen, Kyler Phillips, and Cheeto Vera already. Now, even though he lost to Sanhagen, he can learn from that experience. I think that's one thing he's going to develop as he progresses. That's fight IQ. Losing to Sanhagen can help his IQ. Even though he's a young man and has good experience in terms of cage time, that helps with his comfortability. Song could become champion because he has the power. He has the ability to knock people out with multiple weapons. With a higher fight IQ, he can learn to use those weapons more effectively in his fights. And that's something I expect to happen. The final fighter that I think could become champion is 24 years old and is 11-1. While being a perfect 5-0 in the UFC. It's one of the baddest women on the planet. The third-ranked women's flyweight, Aaron Blanchfield. Aaron Blanchfield is one of the fastest rising women fighters in the UFC. She's coming off the biggest win of her career as she beat Jessica Andrade by second-round submission in February in a card she headlined. She dominated Andrade from beginning to end. It was unexpected because I thought Andrade would have been more of a dominant force on the feet. But Blanchfield walked through her like Central Park. She eventually got her back and choked her out like it was easy. Now, the thing about Alexis Grasso being the champion is that I don't think she'd be the toughest matchup for Blanchfield. In fact, I would favor Blanchfield to win that fight by submission. Aaron is vicious. She fights with an attitude and she's fearless. And she forces you to fight inside of her system. And once you're there, there is no way for you to win. So which fighters currently 25 and under could become champions in their careers? I'd say Ian Machado Gary, Song Yedong, and Aaron Blanchfield. I'm sure there's some honorable mentions out there, but these are my top three. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 
The flyweight division has some notable contenders who want title shots after Alexander Pantoja won the flyweight belt against Brandon Moreno recently at UFC 290. So I must answer, who should fight for the flyweight title next? First, there's former flyweight champion Brandon Moreno, who lost a close split decision against Alexander Pantoja at UFC 290. That was an amazingly close fight. But lucky for us, this was one that the judges got right. Brandon didn't fight a bad fight. He had his moments, but Pantoja dug deeper and found something a little extra in him to keep him in that fight and take advantage when he needed to. Pantoja's heart, determination, and control won him that fight. Yes, it was close. Yes, it was a split decision. But do you give Brandon Moreno first crack at the belt? No, you do not. For as lovable as Brandon Moreno is, he was not a dominant champion at least not dominant enough to warrant another title shot. Another guy who's been calling out Pantoja for the belt is the fourth ranked flyweight, Brandon Roy Val. Roy Val is coming off an exciting KO over Mateos Nicolau in April. But I know, I know, I know Roy Val lost to both Brandon Moreno and Pantoja before, but his loss to Moreno was weird. It was a fluky shoulder injury. And his loss to Pantoja, it was legit, but it was short notice, and I'm sure he has his reasons. But so what? Has he not done enough sense? I'm not opposed. But there's another contender we cannot forget about. It's Amir Albazi, who's coming off a big win against Kai Carr France in June. Albazi is 5-0 in the UFC, and with a 17-1 overall record, he's going to be hard to deny for a title shot. But I thought we should hear from the man himself. So to further answer this question, who should fight for the flyweight title next? I'm going to holler at a homie. So please to welcome the number three ranked flyweight in the world with the best eyebrows in the game. Drip for days, Amir Albazi. How are you, my brother? Good, 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 my brother. How are you? I'm good, man. Thank you for joining the show today, man. I'm I'm glad I get a chance to talk to you. Things are looking really good for you right now. I mean, coming off a win versus Kai Car France, you sitting in a good spot. But the theme of today we're talking about is who should fight for the flyweight title next. Yeah. And I'm gonna go come right to you with that. Who should fight for the flyweight title next? Should I do the matchmaking from now on? <laughs> I think so. You know, but you know what? If, if sometimes it works. If you call your shot, sometimes it works. Yeah, yeah. Like in the end of the day, I know it's Moreno Pantoja up there. I don't know if they're gonna do a rematch. So there's two scenarios to this. If they're not looking to do a rematch, I know Brandon hurt his arm. So if they decide to put Royval in, we already have seen that fight. You know, even if they put him out with Moreno. That's what I think. And that's why I think I'm the next one for the title. No one in the division have six undefeated win streak. I'm the only one. But most people looking at my last fight and making judgments of that. But if you look at my other fights, I just go in, I finish people. But sometimes when you're on the highest level, you know, it's a close fight. That, that happens to all the champions, everyone else. So I'm looking to bring in some new blood into the division. I'm the only one who haven't fought Moreno. I'm the only one who haven't fought Pantoja. But they, both of these guys, they actually finished Royva. So it depends what the UFC want to do. Do we really want to see another rematch with Moreno? He's a great fighter. He did a great fight. But do we really want to see another fight with Moreno involved? 
or are, are we looking to get in some new fresh blood? With the uh, Royval, Royval did a great fight last time. I'm not dis disagreeing with that, but we already seen that fight with Pantoja play out. And if they want to do that rematch with Moreno and uh, Pantoja, that's cool. Let's go. Me and Royval in Abu Dhabi. You know, I don't mind. I'm here to fight. I'm not here to, you know, pick this guy, pick this guy. I don't care if it's Pantoja, Moreno, Royval or anyone else. I'm ready to fight. Even if Kaikara France wants a rematch, I can beat him up again. And this time I beat him up properly. You know, it's funny because, you know, a lot of people after the fight was over, you know, they were like, oh, it was close. And then some people said, oh, you know what, you know, he maybe he didn't deserve decision but i remember thinking after the fight that you won that fight i remember thinking that like man he to me he won the majority controlled the fight exactly that's what i felt i felt i won one two three and i i get what people are saying but in the end of the day kaikara france is the dangerous striker i'm not a dangerous striker i went after him i tried to put on a show I try to, you know, put my hands on him and to show people that it's not only grappling for me, but he ran away the whole fight. This is not something I can control, you know, it's not in my hands and neither is, is the judge's decision in my hands either. So I don't really care about that. If he wants a rematch, keep working, keep winning and I see you at the top. It's not like that fight, it's not like I'm happy with that fight either. I want to fight him again because I know I, I would choke you out if he didn't pull my finger out of that choke. But I don't make excuses. That's my like. There's pictures online. You can find. You can watch the fight and see how he peels his fingers. But I'm. I'm not the type that complain. Keep working. He have Manel to focus on now. If he wins that fight and keep working up, I'll fight you at the top. No problem. And I promise so I'm gonna finish him this time. So Carl France was a pretty highly ranked guy. That was the highest guy you highest ranked guy you fought. What did you learn most about fighting a guy like that? I thought he gonna come at me a bit more. But I realize now on the highest levels, you have to make adjustment on the fly. You have to make adjustment in the fight. And I didn't expect him to run that much, you know. And to be honest, a lot of people are talk talking about his takedown defense. But what kind of takedown defense? Only in the fifth round, he got back up and I let him off of all the... If you look actually, if the real fans look at the fight again, he, he didn't defend any takedown. I let him go to try to punch him in the face of the clinch. So I don't know what people are seeing, but that's not my job. My job is to go in there and fight and to put on a show. Then what the judges say, what the fans say, that's not my issue, to be honest. I'm, I'm here to fight if it's Royval, if it's Pantoja, if it's Moreno. And that's my focus, my focus on the title. If Kai wins a few more fights, let's do the rematch. I promise you, I'll give you that rematch. I feel you. Now let's talk about the champ now. Was you at the fight where you were in attendance or did you watch the fight from a watch party or how did you consume the fight? Between yeah, I was, at, yeah I, was in, I was in attendance watching the fight. And what did you think about the fight? I think it was a tough fight. You know, you saw the holes on both sides. So, but it was a scrap to be honest with you. No one else can say they both show grit. They both show how tough they are. You know, they went the distance, but they don't know. I'm the toughest here. You know, there's n nothing tougher than me. That's what I know. So whatever they brought, people say how tough they are. I'm tougher. I'm the real killer here, and I'm just going to come for them. Just a matter of time. How do you think you match up against Pantoja if you were to fight? How does that fight look? <laughs> I'm going to make make his black belt look like a white belt. I promise you that. I'm going to make his black belt look like a white belt, like I've done with the rest. These are not real black belts. These are McDonald's black belts. Because they've been calling you the black belt killer, right? 
Yeah. But I thought I heard that term being thrown around as you as the black belt killer. You How'd know, you get that name? Dean, I, I have I have a lot of black belts on my records, so-called black belts, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I submit them too. So it's not like I, I knock them out or, you know, I submit them. I show them that your jutsu is nothing because MMA jutsu, Dean, you've been in the game a long time. It's a different type of story. And these people, they don't understand MMA jutsu. They might understand jutsu, but we're not in a gi right now. You're eating punches to the face. It's different. Everything else is different. I like your style. And that's and that's why I, I, I had high hopes for you, because I like the way you transition. I like the way you, you know, when you take your shots, I think it's all very well calculated. And you're working a lot with Aljamain Sterling now, I see. Yeah. And, and he's got such a, a pretty style as well. What's it like working with Aljamain? He's a great training partner, like a really great training partner. Not only is he a good champion, but actually a very good training partner. I've been learning a lot. That's why people don't know. I keep evolving. That's the that's the key to this whole game. I keep getting better. So if these guys want to wait to fight me, that's I don't mind at all. It's just going to get harder and harder and harder. And I know my game can beat any of them. It's This is MMA. This is not boxing. This is not jiu-jitsu. I do MMA and I've done MMA since day one. Well, let's talk about some of those improvements in your game. Seeing you also working with Dewey Cooper, your striking looks to be on point. You seem to have a lot of power. You're throwing good punches. What have you really acquired from working with Dewey? I'm not only understanding the striking from a boxing perspective, but understanding it from an MMA perspective and how to put the stuff together. That's why people can't. That's why Khabib is the most dominant because he could put it together. That's what I believe, you know, and that's what I'm getting better at. It's all getting connected. I finally now, after 16 years in the sport, I finally like it clicked for me, you know. Now I just want to keep shopping my sword and whoever is in the way is going to get it. Simple as that. You said 16 years in the sport. You know, yeah. you look about 17. Me? <laughs> you know, you look about 17 really? with a beard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting old. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm look, 29. Uh, you are young. You still a young man. You're at a good time. So 16 years. Let's talk about your upbringing a little bit. Where did you grow up and how did you get into MMA? So I never actually been into martial arts I like I haven't been around it I grew up in I was born in Iraq Baghdad so there it's only soccer soccer you know they don't have anything else so growing up there was we used to play out on the street that's the only sport I've done we fled from Iraq when I was like at the age of seven we went to Syria where I stayed for another two years and it was just like a different type of experience because I just remember I woke up one I remember they used to come knock the government used to come knock on our door like looking for my dad my dad wasn't in the country back then and one day one night we just like we jumped in the taxi I just woke up I was like my mother rushed me to a taxi I'm like well what's going on like like a normal kid she's like ah oh, don't worry we're going on a trip I'm like on a trip at 4 a.m in the morning we just left i remember we kept driving 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 we came to a lake jump on a boat like literally we had someone like a smuggler or something rowing us off somewhere it was pitch dark so i don't i remember i couldn't see i just saw the leaves on the water that's the only thing i remember then came to syria both me and my brother my sister my my mom 
hard too because it's a uh, kids are mean man that's what i learned kids I know, are mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so we grew up i remember we used to like go somewhere if someone lost a shoe they would come to us like slap us oh if you you took my son's shoe i'm like i haven't i don't even know your son like just getting bullied in general like the kids there were different so already there i had to learn like ah oh, maybe it's better to fight than just trying to hide all the time then going from syria after two years staying in syria my dad got the papers and everything and we came to sweden it's the first time i see snow different climate like going from super like vegas weather to snowing like coming to this country zero language no friends and here we go again same thing starting in school fighting all the time and i start fighting not because i used to fight a lot but i couldn't answer back like i would sit in the class i would understand they're making fun of me I would understand, mm-hmm. okay, I said something wrong, everyone is laughing, or that kid is laughing. But I couldn't say anything back to, you know, so the only, okay, I'm gonna punch you in the face. That's all, that was my revenge, my comeback. So I was getting into a lot of trouble from the age of like 10 to 14. And one night I just like, I used to fight like every two weeks maybe, every week, because I couldn't take, I'd rather take a beating than not answering and turning the other way and walk. Yeah, so right, I'd rather, right. I, you know what, let's fight, let me get beaten up, but at least you you don't gonna bother me again, you know? Mm. When I was 14, one night staying up, I remember it was Eurosport and I watched UFC Unleashed at that time. And I saw it, and I'm like, what's this? It just talked to me. And the violence talked to me. I know it sounds crazy, but I'll actually... No, it doesn't sound crazy at all. <laughs> yeah, I like the violence of it. It was so you, violent. It spoke to you, right? It felt like it was coming on just for you, right? Yeah, I'm like, this is amazing. And I didn't understand what sport is it. So the next day, I just Googled trying to find out what sport. And I got saw Jiu-Jitsu, MMA. They, back then, they call it Valetudo. Yeah. 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 So that's what I Googled that. And I found that like the cheapest gym I could find. And I'm so blessed, man. I came to a, such a good coach. And until today, he's still my coach. Who and is it? We call him Professor X. His name is Hans Erson. He's an old MMA fighter. I'm talking back in the days, no gloves, yeah. no yeah. holds barred, basically. And he got into an accident. So he's in a wheelchair right now. And oh, he used to teach me through our, from a wheelchair. But the stuff he says, like imagine 16 years after now, and now I understand it in a different way. Yeah, it's the whole whole system to this whole game, and that's why I'm telling you, I gotta beat these so-called black belts, because he's a jutsu guy. He showed me, but he showed me from the get-go. Showed me jutsu for MMA. Everything was right. around MMA, nothing. So I already, when I start doing jutsu, I learned the difference. I learned, ah, I have to be on top. You cannot be on your back. Ground upon is very important. Stuff like that. So, and I never looked back. So I started training there. Then at the age of 15, I finally found a, you know, something to do with, I found some friends, you know, something to practice jiu-jitsu. And then my parents decided we're going to London. <laughs> and I'm like, like, no. Yes, exactly. I'm like, you know what? There is no way I'm going to London. They're like, what are you gonna do? And my brother, older brother training with me at that time too, he was 16. So I was 15, he was 16, just one year different. Like, you know what? We talk with each other. I'm like, hey, fuck it, let's just stay. (laughs) He's like, ah, okay, let's do it. So we kind of tried to convince my parents. They had a really hard time in the beginning, but they actually thought, ah, we're gonna leave them there for a few weeks and they're just gonna fly, fly over because they're not gonna, you know, handle it. But we stayed for four years, man, training our asses off, paying rent, working. After training, after I finished two sessions, 
I support my clothes, go work, just to be able to pay the rent. Many yeah. days we couldn't even eat. So that journey I've done with my brother for three, four years, it was hard. While training twice a day, like training like a professional, have to do that, that showed me what I can do. Like I'm unstoppable, like nothing gonna stop me. That's why when I'm here in the PI, having like nutritionist, uh, PT, have training, everything's so smooth, I'm thinking I can, I can do this at least six, yeah. seven years more. I, I see you there. I see you there every time I'm there. Almost. I'm like, yeah. I thought you had. I thought you had a bedroom there. I was like, yeah. <laughs> hey, if they give me a bedroom, if that Dana, I give my apartment up. I stay in the PI. Hey, listen, I don't blame you, man. That's such a great resource for you guys, and I think that that does give you an advantage. In fact, the way you learn jujitsu from an MMA perspective in the beginning from an old school guy. Yeah. Because I think that the when you transition the way they do now, it just doesn't work as well. So I think, exactly. and I think that's the reason for your success. I 100% agree with it. looked at it from a perspective of getting yeah. punched in the face. And he actually had the, when I'm talking about old school jiu-jitsu, I'm talking about Hoji Gracie's jiu-jitsu, Hickson Gracie's yeah, jiu-jitsu. Yeah. I'm talking about the real jiu-jitsu yeah, sure. that you can't yeah. see with the eyes. It's not, we're gonna, we didn't train like, oh, we warm up, do a technique and roll. That's not yeah. our training. Our training was very specific drills, stuff to do. Like it's very systematic way for MMA. It's not just, oh, we're gonna do some random tracking techniques. I'm oh, gonna shoot a double single. Now everything was very systematic. I love it. I love it. That's why I love watching you fight. Thank now you. you're also training with the uh, Basharat brothers. Yeah. yeah. I think very highly of as well. What's it like training with them and how'd you meet those guys? Uh, so when I moved after four years being in Sweden, when I came to the age of like 1920, I decided to go to London and only focus on MMA because under the age, I never had the amateur career actually. I never done one amateur. So when I wanted to start a fight, I was bothering my coach like, hey, uh, I want to fight you. Like you're too young, you're 15. There's at that time back then, they didn't do fights for people that young. So I actually Googled like Google the shit out of a event in Portugal. And I saw 15 year old, like 14 year olds, they would fight full MMA. And I'm like, hey, you lied to me for a whole year. Like, look at these guys, they fight MMA. So he got pissed off back. He like, why are you screaming at me for? If you really want to go, book your ticket and fucking go fight. So we actually did it. I booked my ticket to Portugal and went over there. But when we get there, we see it's a very, there's no mat on the ring. It was pride style. So pride rule set, one minute, 10 minute, like first round, 10 minute, second round, five minute. And it's a tournament. So I did two fights in one night. I didn't know. So when I did that fight at the age of 15, and went back, I did two fights in one row. I'm like, oh, this was pro. Now I can't go back to amateur. Even. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. At 15? At 15. So I'm like, shit. So I put a game plan from 15 to 18. I only did jiu-jitsu. I took everything I could. European championships, world championships, Asian championships, Sweden championships. Like I'm talking several in three years. Like I was just competing nonstop. That's why I know what real black belts is. <laughs> These guys are not it. So when I moved to London at like the age of 19, I only focused on MMA. And then I, that's when I met the Bashrat brothers in the new gym in London. So we started training and I saw we're very similar in how our mind work, our work ethic and how hard we work. So we just clicked from the get-go and we've been working for until now. We decided after a few years in London, like seven years, we decided talk to each other hey let's go to the states we always wanted to go see how it is there and we just took one ticket we said we don't like it we can always come back we came we saw the pi we saw the coaches we saw everything and we just decided to stay and when first i got into the ufc they were just my corners 
And now we all had fights in the UFC and soon you're going to see us all on the main card, hopefully. But what an incredible story. I mean, these are the type of things that you make movies about. You have such an incredible journey. I would actually love to see this as a movie. This would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I was there in my debut fight in Fight Island. And they were so happy for me too, because we couldn't believe we're gonna get to the, like we believe we're gonna get to the UFC, but we thought the road was so far ahead. So mm -hmm. when I got the phone call last minute, they both came with me to fight Allen and I told them, I'm like, just have patience. You too, 100% you're gonna be in the UFC soon. Then Javed Bashra got into the UFC through the Contender Series. And then we told his younger brother, hey Farah, just have patience. You're gonna be in there soon. And now he's in there and they had fights and I have fights, I had my main event. Now I'm telling them, Hey, I know what mistakes I did for this main event. Like it's a main event's different. So I told them, you're gonna have a main event soon. So we always backed each other up. Always been the same group, just me, Farid, Javed. And we've been always super competitive with each other. And that what got us really good. Yeah, man, I mean, it's certainly working for you. I mean, this that's, I didn't know all this about you and I'm glad that I brought this to light because these are the type of things that really kind of get you over. Yeah. to the public and then the more you over you are to the public the more money you get. so like that's the, <laughs> and i the like name money of the game. my friend yeah yeah of course one thing people don't know about javid so i came to london i was fighting like pro he just getting started and i didn't have sparring partners so i had to call this guy to this guy's school he was still in like college in school I'm like, hey, bro, I need some sparring, please. He said, I'll be there in 30 minutes. I didn't know that he's been skipping classes. He jumps <laughs> over the, yeah, and he would run to the gym and we'd spar. So we used to do this all the time. We just have crazy stories. They've been in my, like in my corner in the UFC from the beginning. And I just feel comfortable with them, you know? We know each other really well. Well, that's amazing, man. Well, I'm not going to take up much more of your time. I appreciate you coming on to my show, man. I Thank hope you. to be able to work with you in the future. I, you Hopefully. know, I get out there as often as I can. I, know. I do work and with I've Aljo, heard, so. I heard great stuff from Aljo and from the Bachelors brothers about uh, you, your way of, you know, seeing things. So I, I look forward to it. Next time you're here, I would love to get a session in. Absolutely, man. Anything you need from me, just get my number from Aljo, man. And it's great you. talking to you. And I hope you get the next shot. If not, it'll be the one after that. Exactly. So you're going you're gonna to get your due, man. Exactly. I'm just, I'm being patient. And whoever they want to put in front of me, I'm always going to be ready. Always. I love it. There he is, ladies Thank and gentlemen. You. Amir Albazi. Thank you again. Thank you. That was the great and mighty Amir Albazi. What a story he had. Hopefully Disney or Tyler Perry or somebody will do the movie on his life and I can play Dewey Cooper somewhere in there. But for now, who should fight for the flyweight title next? I'm going to say Brandon Roy Val. I think he's done enough to deserve a title shot. And then Albazi after Roy Val. To close out this episode, I asked for questions, questions about anything. UFC or not, and I'm going to answer these rapid style. And this one is from Tony McGee. When it cuts to you for the coach's take during a fight, has there ever been a KO? Yeah, when Leon kicked Usman after I said what I said, I got KO. This one is from Trey underscore the panda. Who are your favorite Asians of all time? The Five Deadly Venoms, one of the greatest movies of all time. And it's on Fight Pass, so make sure y'all check it out. And this one is from Josie underscore Cannoli. Can you and Dana do a Suck It Saturday together, please? Man, I ain't sucking nothing with Dana on Saturday. This question is from It's Nicole D. Well, she just said I was lame. 
She's a very powerful person in the UFC, and I want to report her to HR for harassment. Now, this one is from Cosmic MMA. You think Michael Chandler would adopt you? I've been trying to get him to adopt me for years, and he won't do it. And this one is from Real MMA Highlights. Who's your favorite undefeated fighter right now? Daniela Hemsley. I hope you know who that is. So you want your questions to be on the next show? Be on the lookout as I'll post on my Instagram, at Dean Thomas, Dean spelled D-I-N, where I'll ask you to submit questions before the next episode. On this episode, you got my answers to these three questions. One, what the fuck should happen next in the light heavyweight division with Jamal Hill saying he's vacating the title due to injury? Two, which fighters currently 25 and under could become champions in their careers? And three, who should fight for the flyweight title next? And as a special bonus, I answered your guys' fan questions, so keep them coming. Thanks for listening to Dean's Got Answers. We will be back in the near future with a new episode. Be sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dean Thomas. Dean spelled D-I-N. Leave a rating and a review for the podcast. Tune in next time as I'll have answers to everything going on in the UFC. Those are my answers. If you have questions, make sure to hit me up because I'm here for you, boy. Peace. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.